0: It's time Time for silver and black today. To the ground game. Touchdown Las Vegas! We're breaking down the latest Raider news from on and off the field. And bringing you conversations with newsmakers and record breakers. So hold on, Raider Nation. It's time to get, get it, it on. on. Here's your hosts, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moulton. Welcome back, Tuesday edition of Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast where we talk nothing but Las Vegas Raiders and of course the aftermath of what was a just a horrible performance by the Raiders, twenty-four to nothing losers to the New Orleans Saints on Sunday. We talked about it on the post-game show, and now we talk about it here on our Tuesday edition. And as we do that, always myself and my partner, my co-host here. That is Maurice Moten, Mo Moten. He is the national NFL reporter for Bleacher Report. He's also a Raiders columnist at sportsnot.com. Follow him on Twitter at Mo Moten, M O E M O T O N, as well. Also, belated happy Halloween. That was yesterday. It was a house of horrors in New Orleans for the Raiders. Uh, Mo, we haven't had a chance to get your reaction yet, but from the top, we just want to get your overall sense for this game, what impression it left on you, and then we'll get into the rest of this segment, some of the key observations from it and what it means to this team, but your initial reaction to what you saw after watching the game film, after you covered the entire league on Sunday.
1: The Raiders by far had the worst performance from Sunday's games that I've saw. And, I, and as you said, I, I I take a peek into every game that goes on on Sundays. I'm locked in. Usually I have my takeaways Sunday night. A lot of people read that column. I appreciate that. But watching the Raiders game irritated me simply because <laughs> <laughs> you you have a Saints squad that didn't have their top cornerback in Marshawn Lattimore. They didn't have their top two receivers in Michael Thomas, who's a, who's a multi-time All-Pro. They didn't have Jarvis Landry, who I believe is a five-time Pro Bowler. Their offensive line had been hit or miss all season. Their defense going into that game was giving up the second most points league-wide. The Raiders didn't cross the 50-yard line until Jared Stidham got in in garbage time. That tells you that the performance, I don't, I don't even have a word to describe it. I, I've seen people <laughs> say it's embarrassing. I've, seen, I've used the word disgraceful. I don't know what the worst word is, a synonym for the word disgraceful, but there's a word that you can use that's worse than that. I would use that word. And to me, I wouldn't say that the team gave up on McDaniels, but there's something wrong. If you have Devontae, now I know Devontae Adams had about with the flu, but according to Adam Schefter, he was feeling better before the game. I didn't see any ill effects from him during the game. He had one catch for three yards. I know Darren Waller didn't play, but guess what? Josh Jacobs was healthy. Matt Collins was healthy. Hunter Renfro was healthy. Foster Moreau was healthy. You had enough to at least score some points on Sunday. It didn't do that. And if you didn't score points against a bad defense, you have a problem with those with those players that you have on the roster. Those offensive weapons, you can't get past the 50-yard line. Something has to change.
0: Yeah, and Mo, it's interesting you say that too because we we didn't talk a whole lot Sunday because you were so busy. But a lot of people, including folks who cover the team, immediately, immediately were indicting the defense for their performance. And again, the defense... At times, early on, I rewatched the game this morning again, and the defense early on actually played okay. This has always been a work-in-progress defense. Nobody thought this was going to be probably even a top-15 defense or 20 defense, uh, let alone a stellar defense. So they were on the field a lot. I immediately challenged that notion during the game and said, wait a minute. This offense has done nothing and can't stay on the field. You have to play complimentary football, Mo. You cannot expect the defense or an offense to carry a team entirely. They both have to do their jobs. And in this case, I was much harder on the offense because, again, they couldn't stay on the field. They couldn't get past the 50. They couldn't get first downs yet again. And everybody looked like they had their thumb up there. You know what?
1: As some people would say, two things could be true. Yes, the defense – hasn't played well didn't play well yesterday You couldn't contain kamar who scored all three of the saints touchdowns he's the guy when i'm, I'm guessing when you're in the film room and you're breaking down the saints offense he's the one guy you say we can't let this guy take over the game and they let him take over the game of course <laughs> so no one is saying that the defense played well but let's be let, let's look at it this way even if the raiders defense had a decent performance and the raiders defense held the saints 10 points the raiders would have still lost the game you know why because they didn't score any points, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Even the defense had played well. Unless the defense Mo, pitches a, unless the defense pitches a shutout, you're still losing that football game.
0: Yeah, and and, and that's the thing too. I, I I continually so, and and I said this on the post game show with Murph and Evan and David, but was this heading into this season, the expectations around the defense were I thought where they should be. Hey, look, a lot to prove. You and I talked about it a lot during the summer. Young defensive backfield, some unproven guys. They brought in some better talent, some more uh, experienced Deron Harmon, uh, guys like that, along with Nate Hobbs. And so so you look at that and you say, okay, how are they going to be? We're not sure. There was uncertainty there, right? The defensive front is still the issue. On offense, though, outside of the right side of the offensive line, this offense was supposed to be a Super Bowl caliber offense. I mean, that's that's what we heard, right? We heard from fans' expectations. We heard from media expectations. We heard all about how this is the best AFC West and the Raiders included in that. And that has not materialized. That offense, with those weapons, there's absolutely zero excuses. I, I, I've gotten to the point now... Where we're gonna piss off some fans when we talk about this because I don't care anymore. Don't tell me about who had what coach and what systems and tell me about how, well, the line this and the line that. It doesn't matter. Even when the line holds up, there is not execution worthy of a professional football team. And that's where I'll use you said earlier about you don't know what you word to use for the performance on Sunday. I would say unprofessional. I don't think those guys came to play. They didn't look like they wanted to play. I agree with you. I don't think anybody quit. But certainly, I sent you a clip of of, of Trayvon Morig on a play Then the touchdown uh, in the first half. It looked like he was jogging towards the end of that play. Now, I get it. A guy's going to there. But you want to see 100% effort. And I don't know what's going on. But as I said, it smells like a fish market in that Raiders locker room. Something just ain't right, Mo.
1: Can we be honest about something? Mm-hmm. And I, I, did, I wanted to say this for the show and not do it on Twitter because I would be answering tweets all day, but <laughs> when the defense doesn't play well, people have no issues calling out the defense. People have no issues saying oh, Trayvon Merrick didn't have a good game. Nate Hobbs didn't have a good game. This player didn't have a great game. Patrick Graham needs to do a lot better. And we acknowledge that when a defense doesn't play well and they give up a bunch of points early or they play half of a football game, we're the first ones to say the defense has to be a lot better and we're not excusing the defense. But what I don't like is when the offense doesn't play well. People are afraid to criticize the offense because Derek Carr's on that side of the ball. So people <laughs> don't want to people don't want to criticize the offense because they know the conversation is going to sh- shift to Derek Carr. Now mm-hmm. we when even when the offense doesn't play well, but we feel like Derek Carr had a good game, we often say, "Okay, this isn't on Derek Carr. Derek Carr did it what he was supposed to do, and the offense didn't execute. Darren Waller dropped passes, or you know this player didn't run the right route, or." offensive line played poorly we're we're quick to say that this isn't on Derek Carr in this case you have Derek Carr you gave him an extension no there's not in this contract but you you paid you gave Derek Carr an extension you acquired Devonta Adams gave him him an extension that connection is supposed to be money what happened Derek Carr had under under 130 yards got pulled at the end of the game because the game was out of hand This is on Derek Carr on the offense. People don't want to say that because they don't want to criticize Derek Carr. They don't want that conversation. But this is on Derek Carr on the offense and Josh McDaniels, of course.
0: Well, and they don't want to lose an argument, right? So so all the people who don't like Derek Carr, who don't believe in Derek Carr, I'm not talking about the the argumentative wackos who go crazy about Derek Carr and wish him ill will and all that kind of stuff. I'm just talking about people who legitimately like Derek Carr. A lot of these people don't want to give in. They don't want to admit when he doesn't perform well. And you look at the game in New Orleans and you look at what Derek Carr was doing, I I called it out too as did others. Hey, he's underthrowing the ball, he's overthrowing the ball. The on, on the first drive, the, the 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 pass to Mac Collins was a bad throw. If he hits that throw, it's a touchdown, okay? So and then the interception, the bounce-off interception in the double coverage underthrown. So so look, you cannot make excuses for that. And I saw people after the game make excuse well he was under pressure the whole game yeah guess what every quarterback's under pressure okay and the throws we're talking about he wasn't under pressure <laughs> so so you can't have it both ways like that and I agree I think there's a lack of honesty and a lack of admitting when things aren't working well and I want to talk in the next segment too specifically about the Derek Carr situation because you mentioned the contract but this offense to me all the money spent on the offense you can't tell me you know where I asked it on the post game show where's Hunter Renfro Foster Moreau was there, but Derek Carr looked skittish in this game. He looked like he wanted to get rid of the ball as fast as he could, although he's still taking over three seconds to get rid of the ball, uh, which which ranks at the bottom tier of the NFL when you look at the top 15 quarterbacks. So, so you look at that and you say to yourself, what's going on? And Josh McDaniels, yes, blame the coach, absolutely. But the issue here, though, is... They still execute on the field. The the coach cannot go on the field and do it for you. What are you seeing here? I mean, if we had the answer, we could tell them and hopefully they would fix it, but we know that's not gonna happen. But Mo, you look at this team and and you have to look at the culture that's being built. It's a new regime. And Murph brought it up on the show on Sunday. This team, all that they went through last year, never gave up. They fought hard. Uh, They won some games by the skin of their teeth and they got in the playoffs this year it doesn't look like anybody's having fun out there. It doesn't look like anybody has any intensity. Do you, do you look past the coach there or is that, does that stop at his desk?
1: Part of it is the coach. And I hate when people say, Oh, these players are making millions. So they don't, they shouldn't need any type of, you know, a push or any type of what's the word I'm looking for Um, leadership to get them to play hard. And I will say this, I've, if you've ever been around someone who's at a good job, right, they're making great money, mm-hmm. six figures, even, even the richest people need motivation. There's yes. a word called complacency. Mm-hmm. And I will say in the NFL, other players would tell you, not all players in the NFL play for the same reason. Some guys like what the game gives them as far as access to things and money and stuff like that. But on game day, it's just kind of like, eh, well, I'll go out there and I'll just suit up. But I'm going to get paid anyway. <laughs> Even the richest people need motivation. Sure, the billion the billionaires out there, you see, they need motivation. Yep. So don't tell me that the Raiders don't need leadership. That's number one. To answer your question, number two, what got me angry Monday morning, Josh McDaniels, on his Monday presser, said basically said every team um, teams loses lose games. Yeah, every team loses games on you know on Sundays or whatever. And my my response to that was I. I nearly blew a gasket and I had a, a series of tweets after he, after that Vic Tafer, I think, put the quote out. And I responded and I was like, what type of response is that? Now people say, oh, that's just coach speak. He's not going to give much to the media. I get that. But some the good coaches talk to their players through the media too. I've seen Andy Reid do it. I've seen even Belichick is short and, cringe as he is he does it the good coaches talk to their team through the media when the message is not getting through in the locker room because clearly something is not getting through in the raiders locker room and when you have a quote like that saying yeah well, teams lose every sunday <laughs> there's a difference between losing and as i said Twitter, getting your butt kicked and the raiders got their butt kicked on sunday and when you turn in a performance like that it needs to you need to turn it up a little bit because obviously you're two and five you lose that game In that situation, 24-0, to I know the games have been competitive, but I also pointed out that the Raiders have either started slow or given up three possession leads in every game this season except for the Denver Broncos. With the exception of the Denver Broncos game, which they played exceptionally well in that game, put up 32 points, gave up 23. They have started slow early in the game and had to dig themselves out of a hole, or they botched big leads. The Cardinals, the Chiefs, up 17 plus yep. points in both those games, a loss. So you cannot tell me there's an there's not an urgency problem in that locker room. And when he has a quote like that, it's a big deal. Now, if the Raiders were 5-2, and 4-3, and three, I wouldn't make a big deal of a quote because I would say, well, the product on the field doesn't reflect that. But the product on the field reflects that the team has an issue with urgency and it's very clear to me.
0: Yeah, and I keep hearing these things about, well, the Raiders are better than their record. No, they're not. Yeah. Clearly uh, they're not. The close losses, it doesn't matter. They're losses, okay. Now they talked a lot about that going on in the broadcast, and and I too was irked by Josh McDaniel. I'm irked by him because he's not Bill Belichick. He can't be in a press conference in his first year back as a as a as a head coach and be as deadpan as Bill Belichick. That guy's got seven six rings, right? So he can kind of do it. He's earned that. He's there. Um, Josh Josh McDaniel's is so void of any intensity himself. And I'm not saying he's got to be Mike Ditka up there. I'm not saying that at all. But to your point, when you ask a question, a pointed question, well, we're just, you know, we believe in these guys. Look, hey, the aw shucks, we believe in everybody. The crap doesn't work because it hasn't worked. Okay? You're two and five. You're two and five. You're halfway through the season and you went way backwards in a game two weeks after your bye. So... the excuses and all of this stuff that's happening. Now I'm not in the boat of a lot of Raider nation. And I know you, you commented on this publicly uh, yesterday, Mo, which is Josh McDaniels is not going to get fired. I don't care how many meetings now, if they go on and lose four more games and people are quitting on the field and it's so evident. Yeah, maybe, but I just don't see that happening. I, he makes it through the season after that. I don't know. Depends how it all uh, ties up. If they end the season winning five in a row, you never know you're on an upswing, but right now, I think that you have to look at the organization. If you're if you're Josh McDaniels or Dave Ziegler, you got to have a conversation. And say, okay, what do we do now? What do we do right now that's going to have a significant impact to reach these players? Is it benching guys? You bet your butt it is. Okay. Is it changing out guys, giving other people opportunities? Yeah. Because guess what? You can think that was your best lineup, but they're not performing. If you're not performing, hey, if I got a person on my team that I manage. Mo, and they're not manning. If I had a writer and he's covering the NFL and his stuff is coming in late, it's not very good, uh, he's doing the minimum, but he's not really generating any interest in what we're writing about over at Bleacher Report or Not, wherever I may be, then guess what? I'm going to give him a, uh, the assignment to somebody else who wants it more, who's going to do it. might not be the best writer, but they're going to give me a better effort and they're going to have a better outcome because of that. Um, is that where we're at now too? Do you think that as a coach, I don't, I don't get any signs from him he's willing to do that, but if it was me, that's what I would be considering.
1: I said it after the game Sunday. The Raiders have to change something. You cannot keep the status quo after that performance in that spot. And again, people are going to go back and say, well, they've been competitive up until that point. Every game up until that point was close. My response to that is, when you drop down to 2-5 and five and you get that type of performance, you have to do something. You have to shake it up because there's no way you get up to the – you. You go down 24-0, you lose 24-0. And then you get to the podium and go, well, you know, every team, you know, team lose teams lose games all the time. (laughs) That that's just not that's just not the response that you need for a two and five team that had playoff expectations. Now, if you weren't expected to be much, if you were expected to be a four and thirteen team, a three and fourteen team that's rebuilding, I get it. But you didn't bring Devontae Adams. Chandler Jones, re-sign Derek Carton extension, give Max Crosby an extension, give Hunter Renfro an extension, give Darren Wall an extension to go, oh shucks, you know, it happens. You know, we lose games every Sunday. You know, he, he had a you had a clunker. We're, you know, we'll be fine. We're past that point now. If you yeah. if you had dropped down to four and three, three and four, I would understand. You are now two and five, and at this point. Unless you go on some miraculous run and rattle off six wins in a row, you're probably not going to make the playoffs. So you're probably right. going to, you're probably going to take a step back from last year and last year you had less talent on the roster than you had, significantly less talent mm-hmm. than you had on the roster this year. Now I know schedules are different, but with the talent you have on the roster and the extensions that you gave out, you should be better than two and five.
0: Absolutely. And you brought up the offense, and we're going to save that. We're going to take our first break right now here on Silver and Black today. Uh, And then when we come back, we're going to talk specifically. We're going to dive deeper on the offense. I want to get down to some nitty-gritty on that one. Uh, Not only are they coming off their worst performance of the season, but there's a lot of question marks there uh, from quarterback to offensive line to play calling, you name it. So we're going to get into that. Uh, By the way, make sure you, if you don't already subscribe to the podcast, please do that for us. Uh, You can do that wherever you get your podcasts. Just hit uh, subscribe and then turn on the auto download. That way, anytime there's a new show, you will get it right on your phone or your other device, your iPad, and whatever you're listening on. We certainly appreciate that as well. All right. When Mo and I come back, we're going to get into the offense. What's going on with this heavily loaded and invested in offense for the Raiders? It continues to sputter. We'll talk about that next here on Silver and Black today. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast. Thanks for being with us in what was a rough weekend for Raider Nation, which continues to be a rough season yet again for Raider Nation out there. No one I feel worse for than the fans who are so passionate and love their team more than any other, I think, in sports. Mo Moten, Scockle Branson, back with you. And, Mo, we're going to jump in. We talked a lot about the offense in the first, but I want to devote a whole segment to this because – when you look at this offense, we from the very get-go called out, and this isn't about getting credit, it's just it was well known, it was obvious that the offensive line was going to struggle. Then we heard from Josh McDonnell, you and I have made fun of it to a certain degree. We thought maybe the last couple of weeks, maybe they were proving us wrong. He wanted an eight-man rotation, said they had plenty of offensive linemen, plenty of depth, he said, during camp, Right. Um, and then we see them go out against the Chargers, not play well. First couple weeks of the season, the last two weeks, they play some, uh, good ball against the chiefs a little bit. And then the Texans, of course, who are not a great team, they, they seem to put things together and we saw some improvement there. And we thought, boy, some of these young players are, are like Theo Munford. And of course, Dylan Parham on the left side, we thought these guys might be proving us wrong. And then we saw what happened on Sunday in new Orleans they struggled again, although I don't think they played as bad as everyone thinks they played. And I want to see if you agree with me on that.
1: As far as the offensive line, I mean, watching the game back, I'm not going to lie to you, the offensive line was pretty bad to me. Uh, <laughs> if you watch, Colt, Colt, can we be honest? Can we have an honest conversation about Colt Miller?
0: Hey, hey, Mo, and, Mo, we're in the zone of, of comfort <laughs> and and honesty here. We talk, we talk honestly here on Silver and Black today, which is why some people don't like the show.
1: Colin Miller is a really good offensive tackle, but he has games where he doesn't look so good. He's not a pro Bowl All pro tackle because I remember that discussion came up mm-hmm. last, this past off season, the past couple off seasons that, you know, Roquan that they were saying, Roquan, they were saying that Colton Miller is a, you know, a pro ball All pro tackle. And I, and I paused for a minute. I said, he's a really good tackle. He's a BB plus tackle, just like Derek Carr is a BB plus quarterback. You know, they have, for the most part, they're pretty good. But when they're not good, especially when Colt Miller plays against the Chargers, he has to go (laughs) against Joey Bosa. It's not good. He didn't have a good game uh, on Sunday against the Saints. As far as you know how I feel about the right tackle rotation, I I just feel like the Raiders are mishandling that. I just just think they should just give the job to Mumford and and let him run with it because to me, the... You don't build chemistry by having guys in and out of the lineup, even though it's two guys switching back and forth. Now, Parham had a big penalty. Raiders had momentum at one point in the game. Parham set them back with a penalty. He's a rookie. He's learning on the job. Alex Barris, who I've mentioned a million times in this show, gave up a sack and some pressure. So I, if I were to grade the offensive line, I, you know, I would give it a D minus. I thought the offensive line struggled, and I think that was part of why Carr was skittish in the pocket. Now, I'm not excusing yeah. Carr he had a bag he had, he had a terrible game too but the offensive line didn't do him any favors but to your point we talked about this in the offseason uh the raiders basically trusted their coaches staff to develop an offensive line that a lot of people on paper felt like needed some help and they decided not to do that and now you're they're paying for it for a while the raiders offensive line had overachieved and it fell apart on sunday and that's what happens when you have an offensive line that isn't very good eventually it's going to regress back to the mean. And they're going to be what they are going to be, which is a subpar unit.
0: Yeah. And, and I think what what I meant by, I didn't think it did as badly as everyone thought it would. You gave it a D minus. I might give it a D plus, I guess. Um, that's maybe splitting hairs. But, but I thought there were times when, when maybe Carr was skittish because they had done something uh, terrible on the play previous. And then he was spooked by it, right? He gets spooked by it. And we've seen that before in his career. And I think that's what happened, but I want to throw this out at you Mo. since we're, since we're in the the honesty bubble and we're letting it all hang out here on silver and black today uh, around this, this Raiders team this year and the disappointment we've seen is could I'm, I'm having a hard time believing that Josh McDaniels, and also Dave Ziegler went into this season actually believing that that offensive line had enough talent for this team to be a playoff run contention team. Uh, and if that's the case, then what were they holding back for? What were they deciding that, you know what, we're not, we're going to give money to these core guys, but we're not going to spend money on the offensive line. Um, I guess I'm trying to give them the benefit of a doubt that it wouldn't be that they wouldn't be that clueless to understand that in the NFL, you have to win on both sides in the trenches. And so if that's the case, are they thinking about the future? And then maybe was this more of a transition year than they let on? No, I
1: actually think that the coaches' staff just had too much confidence in development. Sometimes when a new regime comes in, they look at the same players that the old regime had and said, well, they'll be better in our system. We'll Mm -hmm. coach them up and they'll be at least average if we can get through the year with these players and then we'll get our own players in the following year so i think i don't think it was more of we're just going to wait till next year to fix the offensive line i just think that the coaching staff felt like we can we can coach these guys up because it's not like the raiders didn't have the money to go out and get help we've been screaming how many times have we mentioned Daryl williams name on this show uh <laughs> nate Solder, um you know Other guys, other free agent tackles that may still be available. The Raiders just weren't interested in them. I remember Tashawn Reed on The Athletic put out an article saying that the Raiders felt like the guys that they had were equal or better than the guys available on the free agent market. So the Raiders obviously felt like they can coach up the guys that they already had, and they didn't need the outside help. Well, it turns out, maybe wrong about that.
0: Uh, Yeah, I would think so. Um, But (laughs) it it remains... Yeah, it, it's a head scratcher because you 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 give a guy an extension at quarterback, you give all that money to your core players. That indicates, as we talked about it, that you want to win now, and and to your point, you invest in key areas and and to think and maybe that is the hubris here, right? Which is you think you're so good that you're going to take a marginal player and make him uh, a Pro Bowler right? And that, that, that's not going to happen. It didn't happen, and it's blowing up in their face. They also did it on the defensive side, and we'll talk about that later. But now we'll bring up the conversation that'll get everybody riled up. And it's something that you and I have hinted at, actually, throughout the course of this year. And we both thought Derek Carr would have an excellent year. So far, we're both completely dead wrong, okay? There's been spots, but overall, it's been inconsistent. And from a 10-year veteran who just got an extension... It's it's in, I mean, I can't believe that he's been playing as poorly as he's played. Um, and I said it the other night, and even Murph from the fan perspective kind of started to agree with me, which is it just might be time, Mo. It might be time if the Raiders – look, the Raiders have less than a 10% chance something like that to make the playoffs this season, okay? Let's not even talk about playoffs anymore on the show because I just don't see no. it possible. doesn't mean no. you can't see improvement and the season can't be turned in the right direction. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is let's not talk about playoffs. If this team doesn't make the playoffs um, and they continue on the trend they're on, meaning they maybe win five or six games, then you're talking about a a top five to 10 pick, okay, in the NFL draft coming up in 2024, three, excuse me. Um, Then you start thinking about, hey, I can opt out of the Derek Carr contract and go get a new quarterback. Then you're starting over. I I mentioned this yesterday uh, and on Sunday, and people... We're talking about, well, you just signed Devontae Adams want to leave then. And and what do you do then? So I can't actually believe that people are arguing with me that they should keep Derek Carr for the purpose of keeping a wide receiver. I know he's a great wide receiver. Don't get me wrong. Guy's amazing. But you don't win NFL championships building around a wide receiver. It doesn't happen. Okay? It doesn't happen. So you look at that. Is it perhaps, I mean, if we go on this trajectory and this team doesn't win more than six games— or seven games even. Uh, do you think then that that is a realistic approach that maybe, you know what, it's time, you're going to have to strip things down, back down again, because it didn't work out. And even though you signed some core guys, you're going to have to go out and think about the future and it's time to say goodbye. And better for Derek Carr, perhaps, as well.
1: Now, I wouldn't say strip things down, but what I will say is that if you have a top five draft pick, you're going to consider a quarterback depending on who's available. So if you have a shot at, at Bryce Young, and you think that he can elevate your team more than Derek Carr can because of his upside, you're going to take that quarterback if he's available. Now, I doubt Rice is available if, let's say, number five. I, he could probably go number one.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a
1: possibility, depending on how things shake out. Now, we don't even know if he's going to come out yet, so that's the other thing. But I'm just saying that with a top five pick, you're, you're open to a quarterback change. I know fans don't want to hear that, but it's the nature of the business. Now, back to the Devontae Adams point that you made. He understands that this is a business. Now, I'm sure that Derek Carr being in Las Vegas played into him wanting to play for the Raiders, right? But he's also said he grew up a Raiders fan. Let's remember that. So I'm sure if business happens, which it does in the NFL, and the Raiders decide to trade Derek Carr and he agrees to waive his no-trade clause, or remember he said he would only play for the Raiders and he would retire if it's not – you know in silver and black. If he decides to retire, if the Rays want to move on, I'm sure he would understand the nature of the business and go. Well, I'm here. They they signed me to a new deal. They just signed me to this lucrative extension. I'm here to play football. I my football career doesn't begin and end with Derek Carr.
0: Right. You know. And that's so where, that's where I think people think he is, though, and and I just don't believe that. I I, I look at it and I say you're crazy because. Look, Devontae Adams, there's no question they're good friends, okay? Yeah. But I'm also going to say, I'm going to say things as the wide receiver just coming over to the Raiders with my quarterback who I know is embattled and that half the fan base is iffy on and the other half half of the fan base loves him, right? He's a polarizing guy. I'm going to come in and I'm going to say all the right things. I'm going to say, man, yeah, I, I'm here because of Derek. And yes, I want to play with him. If he wasn't a Raider, I don't know that I would have come here. You're going to say that. I'm not saying he's lying. I'm just saying you're going to say all the right things because you want to bolster your teammate. So this idea that if De- if, if Devontae Adams doesn't have Derek Carr, he's going to walk out and demand a trade, I mean, it's unrealistic.
1: Yeah, like I said, his career is not tethered to Derek Carr. Him and Derek Carr will be friends during, while they're playing and after their careers are over they could still be friends he could still call and talk to Derek Carr, All he wants to after the football games <laughs> he's not he's not is this not a situation where Derek Carr leaves he's gonna I, I highly doubt that but to, to to the point though to the question if you are if you do have a top draft pick that is certainly on the table the thing is the Raiders have a small window to make a decision on Derek Carr's contract because of that small window of having an out without having to be settled a lot of uh, with any uh dead cap owed to him they have to make that decision before the draft so it it, it comes down to after the season where are we are we 5 and 12 are we 6 and 11 and if we are 5 and 12 or 6 and 11 do do we see a quarterback in this draft outside maybe the top two that can give us a higher ceiling than Derek Carr once you answer that question you make your decision and you move accordingly
0: Right. And if you look at this, this draft obviously has some very talented quarterbacks. We talk about three of them, particularly on this show. But you look at the teams who need quarterbacks. If you look at draft order based on this week, Detroit, Houston, Carolina, Pittsburgh, then Jacksonville, and then the Raiders. The Raiders currently sit sixth. I think um, uh, they'll actually finish better than that and and actually dip down on that list maybe towards 10. But if you look at those teams, Detroit needs a quarterback right, because they have golf, but they're going to eventually move on. Houston needs a quarterback. Carolina, we know, <laughs> needs a quarterback, okay? Uh, Pittsburgh, they have Kenny Pitt, but who knows? If you can get somebody better, you might. Jacksonville's good, at least for now. Uh, and and then you have Tampa Bay right down there in the top 10, as well as New Orleans and Denver. They all need the next iteration of quarterback. It's a tough, tough year to need a quarterback. And then even if they finish, unless they finish in the top, I mean, top five, There's an opportunity there, but clearly Raider fans don't want that. But we look at the Derek Carr situation, Mo. Let's talk about on the field what we saw Sunday. My observation was, yes, when he was under pressure, which is not his fault, clearly he got skittish in the pocket. There were times when he could work his way out of the pressure – meaning the pocket collapses. There's an opening uh, to his right or to his left where he could move and use his legs to get out of the way and perhaps extend the play. He didn't do that. We've seen him do that. He did it better, a lot better last year where we saw him use his legs to do it. He seems to be back in 2020 mode where he just wasn't able to do that or doesn't want to do it, stays in the pocket, ends up taking more sacks, more pressure, or he dumps the ball off quickly uh just as an outlet because he needs to
1: yeah so I think part of that is when you feel the pressure bearing down on you Derek Carr is a human so he understands when his offensive line is having a bad game and he just has to either get rid of the ball or away that play you know that that weighs on your psyche that weighs on your mind when you understand that you're under duress on most dropbacks so again, that's not a that's not an excuse to Derek Carr, but again, that's just the human nature of of the football game. And I think once you, I think it was Joey Bose who said this. He said once you hit Derek Carr early and often, he's gonna he's gonna fall apart basically. And I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. there, but that's basically what he said. And a lot of Raider fans took umbrage with that and go, "Oh, you calling Derek Carr soft?" And it's not about calling a, a player soft. I think most quarterbacks are like this. If you get to them early. That clock starts to speed up in the head and they think sometimes they'll anticipate pressure that's not there. I mean, I remember Jack Rio said this about Derek Carr years ago, that sometimes he anticipates pressure that doesn't exist. You remember Sam Darnold got made fun of for saying that he was seeing ghosts in the pocket one year, early in his career. And I would say he's not the only one. Players are not going to outright say that I'm seeing ghosts in the pocket. But they anticipate pressure when they're getting hit. And sometimes it's premature or it's not really... What they think it is so in that game sunday when Derek carr knew he was under fire for most of it he understood like okay i you know i'm not discombobulated but i had to do something with this football it may not be the best decision but it's better than getting hit by cameron jordan and oh <laughs> and those guys on the front so yeah that played that plays into it the saints got to him and it turned out to be a bad game for him
0: no doubt. So, but let me ask you this question as we go to the break here um, uh, on Silver and Black today. Um, at what point do you look at the Derek Carr situation? I am an under under no um, point of view here that says that they would do better with Stidham at quarterback. I'm not one of these fans <laughs> who who say instantly go to the backup. The, back, the backup quarterback is always the best guy in the world, right? Because you say th- it's a different option. People want to go to it. But the way Derek Carr is playing, yes, his offensive line broke down for him this past week, but he's not been good either. So at what point do you start to think if you're the coach? Like you said, you got to change something, right? Um, I think he would be the last thing to change. But if he continues to play like he does, um, again, it's a question of confidence. If the coach doesn't have confidence that you're going to lead the team down the field to win offensively. Then you pull him. Uh, do you think that we're getting closer to something like that, or do you never see that happening with Derek Carr because of who he is and how he might react?
1: I don't think we're close to that. Red's fans are, are going to cringe, but understand this. They gave Derek Carr a new contract. He has a no-trade clause. If, you, if you're benching Derek Carr, basically you're saying, we're going to draft a quarterback in April. <laughs> Yep. Because you're you're not going to win as many games with Jared Stidham. I know some delusional fans want to believe that Jared Stidham will do a better job than Derek Carr because Jared Stidham knows Josh McDaniel's system. You know what Josh, you know what Jared Stidham doesn't have? Doesn't have Derek Carr's arm talent. Nope. <laughs> he does. He's not as good of a quarterback as Derek Carr. So even if he knows the system or not, not going to perform as well as Carr. So once you bench Carr, you're basically telling your team, wave the white flag we're probably going to win four or five games. We're going to draft a new quarterback in the off season. And we're going to start over at that position. Now I think it happens if the Raiders get to the end of the season, they're nowhere close to the playoff picture. Let's say late December around Christmas, and they're nowhere near the playoff picture. And there's no hope for them to make the postseason. at that point. Then you start to say, okay, let's go with Stidham. Our record is what it is. We struggled this year. We're going to go into the all season with a new outlook at the quarterback spot. That's mm-hmm. when I think it could happen. Weeks 16, 17, 18. It's not going to happen now because you're, even though you're two and five and the playoffs look like a far distant hope right now, it's still the middle of the season. We haven't even hit Thanksgiving yet. They're not yep. going to turn to the backup at this point. Usually when a team, and I said this on Twitter on Monday, usually when a team has a performance like the Raiders had on Sunday against the Saints, the first thing they do, they make roster changes or they fire a position coach. The Lions just fired their DB coach RB Pleasant, on RB Pleasant on Monday. Guess what? The Raiders give up the second highest completion percentage to quarterbacks. They're behind guess what team? The Detroit Lions, Detroit who <laughs> have an atrocious secondary. So yeah. the first thing that can happen for the Raiders is they fire their DB coach, they fire some position coach because an area an area on the roster is underperforming. So that's the first thing that happens. And then if the offense continues to struggle after the Saints game, then you'll probably hear talk about Josh McDaniels giving up play calling dues to Nick Lombardi. Those things happen first before you hit the red button on your quarterback or fire your head coach. That's usually how it
0: works out. Great segue because when we come back, Ma, I want to talk a little bit about the defense. We'll talk about Josh McDaniels too and what he might need to do outside of the position coach. But I also want to talk to, I think, what we, I think some of us maybe overestimated Uh, And that was Patrick Graham. Patrick Graham's defense overall uh, has not been good. There's been a lack of, I think, uh, improvement in some areas. How much of that is Patrick Graham? So we'll talk about that when we come back here. You're listening to Silver and Black today and Odyssey Original Podcast. Do us a favor, make sure you subscribe. Wherever you get your podcasts, just hit subscribe, hit the auto download so you never miss a show. Mo and I will be back right after this message. Welcome back to Silver and Black. Today, an Odyssey original podcast. Thank you guys for subscribing to the show. Wait a minute. You don't subscribe? Are you kidding me? If you don't, make sure you hit subscribe uh, and put on the auto download and help us uh, uh, make sure that you get the latest and greatest of Raiders information here from us. He is Mo Moten. He is the national NFL writer at Bleacher Report covering the entire league. And he also writes a Raiders column up on sportsnot.com. You can follow him on Twitter at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. You can follow me at LV Gully, the show S N B today. And we are an Odyssey Original Podcast. Okay, Mo, we've talked a little bit about position coaches maybe being the first uh, ones to walk the plank off the SS Raider. That is sinking (laughs) fast. Um, But let's talk about uh, the defensive side of the ball first, and that is Patrick Graham. Um, I'm giving him an F for the year. This team has really struggled. I know it's struggled in points. Um, we've seen the one big acquisition, I say the big acquisition, and that was Chandler Jones. Of course, the other acquisitions, Daron Harmon, a great one, actually, I think a win there from Dave Ziegler. Rocky has is inconsistent, but shows flashes here and there. But overall, Patrick Graham's defense just hasn't performed well all the way around. When you look at that hiring and what he was able to do before he got to the Raiders in New York and so on, um, did we maybe over estimate how good and and maybe what Patrick Graham was going to be able to do with the guys he had on the roster?
1: I think when you've had mediocre defenses as the Raiders have had in the past years, you're looking at it as how much worse could it get than what the Raiders have, <laughs> right? You're like, how, how much yeah. worse could it be? You know, this guy can't be any worse than the previous, right? And you look at Patrick Graham's defense and it's the second worst in the red zone. Secondary, as I said, the pass coverage is given up the second highest Uh, completion rate the quarterbacks this season behind the Detroit Lions who just fired their DB coach and you're looking at players who just not just not showing up I I know I've been a big on Anthony Averett. hasn't played well as you said Rocky Asin inconsistent uh Nate Hobbs even before he got hurt struggled Trevon Merrick is the big surprise disappointment here he had a promising rookie season not playing not playing so well this year, uh, Denzel Perryman. Some make a huge mistake on a Kamara touchdown because Kamara scored all the touchdowns, but he guessed wrong. There was one point where he was he went to the flat and Kamara cut inside, mm-hmm. and he got he got mixed up in the wash with a couple of receivers and defenders, and he ba- he just blatantly guessed wrong. So that was on him. But technically, you're supposed to coach those things and and, and let those players know what they're supposed to do on on certain situations. So uh, to, to answer your question, he's flat out a huge disappointment and. It's funny because one tweeter responded to one of my uh, early tweets on Monday, and he said, "Notice the Giants' defense got better after Patrick Graham left." It's a good Wink point. Martindale is, Wink Martindale is doing a fantastic job with that Giants' defense. Now he blitzes a lot, but he has a system. It worked with the Ravens for the most part. I know it kind of went off the rails in his, in his last year in Baltimore, but they had a lot of injuries on the back end. For mm-hmm. the most part, Wink Martindale has been a great defensive coordinator. But I did say before the season that. The one unknown Patrick Graham is he hasn't been a coordinator for very long. Exactly. He hasn't he hasn't you been a one-spot. Yeah. He had he had he had one year with the Dolphins and they weren't a good football team, so the defense struggled. He had one good year with the Giants and then a bad year with the Giants. He doesn't have a long history, so you don't really know what to expect. And when the Giants defense struggled under his tutelage, I remember Logan Ryan said he had to pare things down and basically simplify the defense so players. Got their assignments right and communication was a lot easier. Maybe that's something they should do this year because whatever he's been doing hasn't been working through seven games. And he said he was going to tweak things over the bye week. Apparently that didn't help because (laughs) still giving up way too many points. So, yeah, a lot of people may have overestimated what Patrick Graham could do. And I think it's hopeful optimism from the fan base. But as far as us being talking heads and being part of the media, we have to be the ones to say, "Look, this is the this is the you know bad and good. These are the pros and cons." And as I said, you know, he doesn't have a long history, so we don't have a history of him having success over a long period of time. So you're kind of treading in unknown waters, and we're seeing that it's not as good as fans wanted it to be right now.
0: Well, we heard the same criticism that we're hearing about Patrick Graham's defense around Paul Gunther's defense, another PG, right? Um, initial wife, uh, which was he had to simplify the offense. It was too complex. Well, now you have that issue again, and it seems as though um, we're running into that again. Mo, um, with the time we have left, I want to go back to the Josh McDaniels conversation, you leading off the show, uh, and I know how much it irritated you, and it did me too as well, and it took me back to it, the, the excuses, the idea that well, we? lots of people lose football games. Um, they didn't lose 24 to nothing for the, and get shut out for the first time in eight years. But, but, you know, you see that there seems to be some sort of lack of awareness uh, for Josh McDaniels on, on how to say things, what to, how to address uh, not just the media. I mean, not that he doesn't answer the media's questions. He does. Um, and, but he reminds me a little bit in a much different kind of style to what used to bug me about Gruden. And that was every time the Raiders would perform poorly Gruden had excuses well you know how many guys how many teams have 14 guys on the on the on the IR report how many guys are out with COVID how many guys this how many we don't have time because of COVID we can't practice as much you know there was a lot of excuses he would say there's no excuse and then he would make excuses I see the same pattern with McDaniels I really do and but not just that it's almost like He's just not even aware of what he's saying and how it sounds, not only to us, and we don't matter at the end of the day, right? Because it's the team that matters the most. Um, but even to the team, you start to think, and you said it earlier, You know, when you sometimes have to come out and you got to put people on notice publicly, right? In a roundabout way, you don't come out and call a guy out by name, but you say, you know what? We got guys in the locker room who don't show up to practice. And you know what? If they don't show up to practice and they don't get on the field and do what they're supposed to do, then we're just going to go with a different option. You know, stuff like that, where in your essence, you might be telling two guys. You say it to the world, but you're telling two people. Um, He doesn't seem to be doing any of that, and I don't know, what is the panic button time for this guy? Is the panic button when you're in week 15 and you have three wins? I, I, I just don't know or understand where he's at, and it makes it really difficult because everybody wants to fire him, and I understand why. That's an emotional reaction from a fan base who's really upset and had really lofty expectations. But with this guy, I, we talked about it weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, the Nathaniel Hackett thing in Denver, right? Where they brought on a senior advisor. I think Josh McDaniels needs help. I think he needs somebody there who's going, because he's clearly not getting it either, that's going to tell him, hey, Josh, you might want to do this or do that. Or, hey, let me give you some advice. Because I don't think what he's doing all the way around is working.
1: Now let's remember Josh McDaniels is still a young head coach. I know this yeah. is a second stint, but he's still a young head coach who's still learning on the job because he only had two years in Denver. They got they ran him out after two years. <laughs> so within two years. So um I what I will also want to say is I don't want to beat up on too much of what Josh McDaniels says at the podium because we're asking these guys to be head coaches and not you know public speakers. Right. But as I said, but even with Gruden, Gruden would call guys out. I remember mm-hmm. there was one year where I, I forgot who it was, but the quarterback position was in flux. And basically, um, someone else, Casey, Hay, Casey Hayward had basically won the job over, over it was um, Damon Arnett. Yeah. And I forgot exactly what Gruden said, but during the offseason, he said, basically, it's Casey Hayward's job to lose. Now, he didn't say those words exactly, but when he said it was basically Casey Hayward's job, he's putting Damon Arnett on notice. He's not calling names. He's not naming names. Because I'm not asking Josh McDaniels to get up to the podium and call guys out by name. (laughs) That's not how you handle the situation. No, But you can can say things subtly and, and send a message to certain guys or one particular player without saying a name, and he'll know that you're talking about him. So that's my point is that when you have a game like that against the Saints where you're completely flat, you may need to call out your team a little bit. Not by name, but just in a general sense. Because again, whatever you're doing in the locker room privately is not working, is not getting through. Mm. So when that doesn't work, you got to go to plan B. You got to do something different to get something better out of your squad.
0: Right. Like going to the podium and saying, look, our offense didn't perform well. Those guys didn't execute. They knew the game plan. They just didn't do it. They, could, they couldn't execute it. They need to all look in the mirror and figure it out. So there you go. You could be talking about Derek Carr. You could be talking about the offensive line. You could be talking about Foster Moreau. You could be talking about Devontae Adams. You could be talking about all those guys or a few of them and do it in a way. So I, I agree with you. I And, and I know he's a quote-unquote young head coach technically to your point. He doesn't have a lot of experience. Uh, but at this point, we, of course, saw – the salacious, oh, he's in a meeting with Mark Davis, right? Which y- you expect that. Look, if you have an active yeah. owner, and and uh, John Metalcuff wrote and said, hey, Mark Davis used to get in position faces or in the face of position coaches on plane rides in the old days uh, and talk about and and have discussions with them. So his dad used to do the same thing. So, so I don't see it as unusual uh, no. other than it's not acceptable, and the owner's telling the coach it's not acceptable. So, again... The, the 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 idea that he's going to get fired, I think, is ludicrous. But beside that, um, if you're Mark Davis now, let's talk about this if we're in the honesty bubble. Mark Davis has overseen all of this. He 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 was did a mea culpa a couple of years ago as the team was moving into the new stadium. And he said, listen, there were times when I didn't know about football and I didn't tap in the right people. Now I'm tapping into the right people. I'm asking the right people questions. I know what I don't know. Um, he obviously got advised on hiring the two people he hired with Dave Ziegler, and with Josh McDaniels. Um, So people are starting to then now look at Mark Davis and say, here we go again. He picks a coach, picks a GM, and we're right back in the same situation. Um, How much of this organizationally does it, it, I should say this, does it start to get fidgety for the organization if this continues? Does Mark Davis lose his resolve and move on? He's not going to do what his dad did and fire somebody on a tarmac. I get that. But is he going to perhaps um, rethink his decision, or is this a Dave Ziegler decision, really?
1: I think it starts with Dave Ziegler because he is the GM. The problem is Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels are friends. They go back to John Carroll College, I believe. Mm -hmm. I think it's in Ohio. So they're they're familiar with each other. They have a friendship. So it's hard to fire your buddy. But then again, Paul Gunther and John Green, I believe, were, were buddies. So sometimes you have to fire your friend. Yeah, it's a results based based business. They know it's not personal; it's business. So, that decision I think comes down at the end of the season. Where are the Rays at the end of the season? Because again, we're still in the middle of the year. They're, I know they're two and five; doesn't look good, but we're not even at at the halfway point realistically. I mean, halfway is next week. But you're gonna wait till the end of the season to see where this team ends up before you make a decision to fire head coach. Because I said this weeks ago. Firing head coaches off the cuff hasn't worked for the Rays in the recent past. No. So you again you you see where it ends up first and then you make a big picture decision. You don't make a spur of the moment, you know, knee-jerk emotional response. A lot of a lot of fans want to make. And I get why they want to make that decision because they've seen a lot of this mediocrity before and they're seeing signs of it again. So they're like, get it out of here before it gets worse. So I, I totally get the fans on that. But from a business perspective, from Dave Ziegler's perspective from Mark Davis's perspective you just hired these guys this year you're going to ride it out for at least one year he's going to be the head coach race for at least one full year before they make a big picture decision to change direction again because again once you change head coaches then you're talking about a new system because he's also the play caller you're talking about maybe new players because a new head coach has a different vision so change constant change is not good but the no. Raiders, the, the Raiders situation right now isn't good. But neither is constant change. So right. you wait till the season ends, and then you reevaluate the situation all over again.
0: Yeah, and and you just got you have to hope for not only the fans, but for the team that they they start to find it and turn it around. The playoffs might be off the table, but if you can still salvage the season with a winning record or getting as close to five hundred by the end of it that you can, maybe come up with a couple big wins. Maybe you win against the Chiefs, maybe you beat the Chargers, maybe you beat uh, a team, the Rams, whoever it may be, just to kind of give yourself some, some of that good feel and say, hey, we are progressing. If you're progressing, that's the point. If, if they would have lost to New Orleans 24-21 because of a late game play that resulted in a long field goal, then you walk away from it not feeling so bad. Uh, it's the way they lost, the way they played, and the way mm-hmm. that the the effort... Uh, Seem to not be there for this Raiders team that really was disturbing, uh, but we'll we'll see how it all goes. We'll we'll have a, a, the, the opportunity in Jacksonville.
1: One quick point I'm going to make, and and this tags along with what Josh McDaniels said about teams lose on Sundays. Teams lose games all, all the time. It goes back to my point about urgency, and that was my problem with this quote, and that was my problem with this Raiders team is that it fans can see that there's something missing here, and I think it's urgency. And Derek Carr after the game said, I think it was Vinny of the Las Vegas Review Journal asked him, what do you want to see in the Raiders response after a loss like this? And He said more urgency in the meetings, practices, et cetera. And here it is again. We're talking about meetings, practices, et cetera. Why isn't there urgency to begin with? You're two and four going into that game. You shouldn't have to lose 24 to zero to then have more urgency. Now, of course, with Derek Carr, it starts with him because he didn't play well either. But for the team across the board, why is there a question and their response? They need to respond with more urgency. Again, you are a team with pleb expectations going into the year, you dropped to two and four, you dropped to two and five. The urgency should have been there coming out of the bye.
0: Yeah. And even even national observers are looking at this, and I saw it a multitude of 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 pundits on Monday. Really, just sitting there, befuddled, and saying, "I don't know, I I can't figure it out." They have the talent. During during really quick during the broadcast, Trent Green
1: said it. He said, "You know, I didn't expect the Raiders to get blanked here." I think it was Kevin Harlan and Trent Green were talking. They were like, "We didn't expect this." We we sat out here on the show and said it's going to be a high scoring game. We both predicted the Raiders would win. I'm Mm -hmm. sitting there and I'm shocked. I, I look at the game because, of course, I'm watching multiple games and I look over and the Raiders are down 17 nothing and I'm like what is going on (laughs) like I can I can even understand if it was a close game and and they lost in the Saint because the Saints had extra time to prepare and they're just playing their hearts out because their season's kind of on the line because they came into it with a poor record as well I can get that but for a Raiders team to go out there and I understand it going to a different time zone I get that but so do other teams. They're not the only teams that have to travel <laughs> across multiple time zones to play other, other teams in, in football games. They understood what the, what the challenge was. And you yeah. come out there and you don't put up a point and you don't cross the 50 yard line with your starters in the game. That's disgraceful. It, it's unacceptable. It really, it,
0: really, it really is. And and not only that, but they Vic Tafer asked Derek Carr after the game about the urgency question. And he got the standard answer of, "Well, yeah, that's on all of us. And, And Vic drilled down and said, does that mean you too? I mean, don't you own that? And he said, yeah, I own it. Right now, I would expand a little bit on that. but, But he got what he needed from the question, which is, there's no hiding from responsibility, no matter who you are on that team, including Derek Carr. Everybody on that team, and up to the coaches, is responsible for what happened. You can't point fingers. It's on everyone. That's how poor of a performance it was. And so now, you have to move forward, fans. I'm going to lecture you right now. You have to move forward. It's time to move forward. Yes, they got a lot of they got a lot of splaining to do, as they used to say. Um, but at the same time, uh, that's all you can do. You can move forward and, and say, okay, Jacksonville's next. They're staying on the east coast. They're staying in Florida all week. Uh, let's get ready for this game. So the time zone excuse gone, uh, and the rest of it will have to come together. But Mo, uh, we'll we'll get into the Jacks the Jacksonville Jaguars game coming up on Thursday as well. Uh, But the trade deadline obviously is later today. If you're listening to us in the morning when this podcast is released, um, the Raiders could be sellers. Uh, I don't think definitely they're going to be buyers. Um, I'm in favor of looking what they can get If at this point. I mean, a lot of people disagree with the Josh Jacobs opportunity. Maybe if someone comes at you with a third, that might be too high. They could probably uh, get him for less. Uh, But do you expect any movement uh, by the Raiders here, as far as selling off some of the talent they do have,
1: I expect movement, but I don't expect any blockbuster moves. Right, let's say they trade a Divine Diablo because the Divine Diablo is low key been a disappointment, yeah. not a very good coverage defender. Uh, he was, he was, I don't want to say picked on, but he's get, he's given up a lot of yards. Over the past uh, couple of few games, so I could see a move like that—a a player who's not necessarily a household or a big name getting moved. But I don't see a blockbuster move either you, way.
0: You don't see Jacobs, maybe? You don't think? You don't think they're listening to offers for Jacobs where they're at at two to uh, five?
1: Of course, a general manager's job is to listen to offers, so I'm sure they're listening to offers for Josh Jacobs. But unless... It's something that blows them away because he has been the engine of their offense. Let's be honest, when the Raiders' Mm -hmm. offense has performed at its best, is when Josh Jacobs has been at its best. So, trading Josh Jacobs would then kind of indicate that we're taking a step back offensively because, again, this guy has helped us get some wins. (laughs) So, if you're trading him and you're saying, okay, we got Zamir White now, you're saying, okay, not that we're waving the white flag but we're willing to take that risk of taking a step back to move forward in the future. And now I don't know how that would sit in the locker room, giving up (laughs) one of your best (laughs) offensive players.
0: Well, and, and I know I'm being Monday morning quarterback here because I, I was adamant that they should not do a fifth year option on Josh Jacobs. And I, I guess I was wrong to a certain degree because they gave the money instead to Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller and Derek Carr and we haven't seen the performance out of either any of those three that we expected so far. Uh, But yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. We'll see what they do uh, by the end of the day. I know you're going to be busy all day covering the trade deadline. So we appreciate it. All right, Mo, we will talk to you next on the mailbag show. And then of course we'll see you on Thursday.
1: Hopefully I'm in a much better mood because (laughs) watching the Raiders game and seeing Joshua thing quote, just, totally like made me upset on (laughs) day. So hopefully I'm in a much better, uh, much better. Yeah,
0: we don't want Moody Mo. We want, we want, uh, we want excited Mo. So we'll get back to that. All right, my buddy, we'll see you soon. All right. For everybody here at Silver and Black today, and Odyssey Original Podcast, we appreciate you guys being with us. If you're listening to us on audio, please subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast. And then of course, if you're watching us on YouTube, yes, the shows, you can also check them out and watch them on YouTube. Hit the subscribe and the notifications button. That'll help us out significantly, but we appreciate it. Hang in there, Raider Nation. It will get better. For Momotin, I am Scott Branson. We'll talk to you next time.